0: It's Thursday, September 23rd, and you've got Oz in your ears. Oh yeah, getting deeper into this already started fall, the darkening of the light. But the light remains here on Radio. Free Oz. I'm one of the Candles. I'm Peter Bergman. My other Candle, David Osmond. And Dave, before we go any further, because there is a, a certain comic side to this show, a certain uh, uh, uh what's on the comedy calendar? The comedy. What's happening? The comedy calendar. The comedy calendar for,
1: let's see, for today and tomorrow, because oh. of course tomorrow uh, is uh, best of the best, so I'll let you know what to expect uh, 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 date-wise. It's a good one. Uh, today, the 23rd, is Mickey Rooney's birthday. Ah, uh, Mickey Mickey Mickey, I love you. Mickey has been with us since 1920, born in a trunk. He was born in a trunk. He was literally
0: born in a trunk. And I talked with a couple of very serious actors and actresses, and two of them said to me, you know, the most professional actor I ever worked with in my life, the one I had the, the, the best time with as an actor, Mickey Rooney.
1: Time doubt, and time again, I don't doubt it. He's somebody I I wish that I'd had an opportunity to work with. Maybe we
2: still will. You I never know. He's still we there. will.
1: And uh, tomorrow, the twenty fourth, uh, is uh, one of Steve Allen's sidekicks, a guy named Dayton Allen, who was one of the Allen uh, Allen gang. He was known as the Why Not Man. Uh, Jim Henson was
0: born on the 24th of September. Poor Jim. The way he died, that always got me. He he refused medical attention for some reason. I don't even think it was religious. And some bacteria took him down. No. He was born the same year as me,
1: 1936. uh, And he had a, a, a bad cold. And I remember shortly after that, I had the same thing. I thought, my God, if I don't get medical attention right now, I'm going to go like Jim.
0: Yeah, I'm go Whoa. join Jim. Yeah, no, no,
1: no. No, too and scary. I won't be able to go to the gym after that. And here's so. another uh, a friend, uh, Phil Hartman. Oh, Phil born Hartman. Born on the
0: 24th. Dear Phil. You know, Phil did... Uh, Did the cover for Fighting Clowns for the Fire Sign, brother of John Hartman, our erstwhile manager, a wonderful man and a tragic death, and a a really, really funny guy.
1: A funny guy. So there's three funny guys Dayton Allen, Jim Henson, and Phil Hartman. I'm sorry they aren't here today. Yeah. To laugh
0: with us. Yeah, me too. I I do want to repeat something I just got into yesterday, just briefly to let people know because we're going to be putting it up on the site soon. There'll be a page to let you know more about our new subscription site that's coming called Oz and Ears. We're going to put it up we'll talk about it talk about all the advantages how you get in what you have to do what you can expect the eyes and ears man the people that listen and download every day we want to build the community we want to be able to interact with them blog with them put them on blue skype have ourselves a lot of fun
1: let's do it okay out there get with it when minute you see that uh, that page new yeah. page right new page all right let
0: us know five dollars. A month? And a lot of the people are listening to his podcast. Don't go up to RadioFreeOz.com. Man, there's a lot of stuff up there. So get yourself up. We're only getting about a fifth of you up there now. Maybe a, maybe a quarter. We need more people up on the site. So you do your duty, as it is.
1: All right. You do it. You do it. You go there. And now,
0: what's in the news? In a previous Bergman's blog up on RadioFreeOz.com, I pondered why the vast majority of this country are so apparently unconcerned about the crusade we've been waging in Afghanistan for the past 25 years. It's a first-class disaster, yet people don't hate it the way they hate TARP, Obamacare, and the stimulus. Even though TARP saved us, at least for the time being, from a 30 style depression, Obamacare ended the nightmare of no health coverage for 32 million Americans, and the stimulus put $800 billion where our mouth belongs, in the greening and regeneration of a nation going rapidly to rust and ruin. And then Oz producer Bill McIntyre sent me this picture from 1985. Now, this is a picture from the White House, the Oval Office. And there sits (laughs) Ronnie Reagan, an advisor, and six members of the Taliban, all right? The caption under this picture, right, is a quote from Ronnie. And it says, the Taliban are the moral equivalent of our founding fathers. Really? Really? I'll have to check to see if Jefferson banned kite flying for fear that someone had used a page from the Constitution as a tale. This shot of the Gipper witlessly schmoozing with these medieval mullahs says it all. We had no idea then, and we have no idea now, who is who over there, and what we can possibly accomplish in a region where it's a hell of a lot easier to grow opium than democracy. First... We sent a gaggle of CIA cowboys and psychopaths over to thumb our noses at the Russians, payback for all the noses they thumbed at us during Vietnam. We delivered bags of cash and plane loads of sophisticated weapons to any warlord or jihadist who promised to point them at Ivan. It worked. One too many stingers up the tailpipes of one too many hind helicopters, and Moscow took what was left of their toys and went home. With no more bullies to torment, we got bored and ignored Afghanistan for the next 15 years until our former asset over there filled four airliners full of Saudi brethren with box cutters and made the war on terror official. We took out the Al-Qaeda training camps with ship-based cruise missiles, taking zero casualties on our side. Ta-da! the dawn of global unmanned warfare. And the more unmanned and unwomaned it gets, the more we replace the GIs with joysticks, the more children we remove from this children's crusade, the easier it is to keep this debacle a non-topic with the moms and dads and tax revolters at home. Notice that all the drone and missile attacks on the cars and homes of the targeted locals are described as surgical. As if there were this great medical practitioner, Dr. Counterinsurgency, back in Washington, scanning the globe for cancers and surgically removing them with his tomahawk and hellfire scalpels. Who's going to question the good doctor about his unpleasant but necessary procedures? If we can get away with printing fiat dollars forever, we can bring all the boys and all the girls home and run the whole invisible show out of refrigerated control rooms where young recruits, veterans of the point-and-shoot video culture, put missiles between the eyes of every bozo marked with an X by the experts back at Langley, the Pentagon, Foggy Bottom, or wherever those killers at a distance are hiding out. This is David Osman for Radio
1: Free Oz, and I'm backstage just uh, off the main set of Afghan Gladiator. That's that hot new TV show that gives returning vets from AFPAC a chance to go back for another tour of counterinsurgency. Exciting show, and here's the winner of tonight's contest, the former National Guardsman, who already revolved through eight tours over there. It's PTSD First Class Crystal McStanley. Well, tell us something about yourself,
2: Crystal. Uh, yes, sir. Well, um, I joined the Marines when I was 18 for on-the-job training, and it sure was because, uh, like, uh, three days later, I was in AFPAC. Oh. Really? <laughs> I want to go back, but they said I'm too used up, so I guess I showed them up. Well, I guess you did. Well, Ed, uh, you, you must have brought home some souvenirs or something from your last tour, right? Yeah, PTSD, night sweats, the crabs, and I used to be a woman, but the Army took care of that the last time I, I looked. Oh, really? Well, that's sad, Uh, yet there's something comfortably uh, ironic about about that, too, Chris. But uh, tell us all about the Afghan Gladiator Challenge. Well, sure, sir. Uh, First, there's the uh, pop-up firefights. I Mm -hmm. get five points for every turban, and and I lose five for every CD. That's collateral Collateral damage. I ended up just just over even. Uh Then there's the uh, IED swamp thing. I had to drain the swamp and replace it with a girl's school Uh without blowing anybody up. Nation building. Uh Yeah, right. Uh And then comes bribe the warlords stuff, you know. It's Uh tee up or get terminated on the Kabul to freaking nowhere highway. Cost me an arm and a leg. Oh, really? Glad it wasn't mine. Uh (laughs) Well, me too.
1: Say, you survived those first three t- challenges, and, and but but, but how, how'd the big show end up?
2: It ended up, man, in the poppy field. You know, you have to dream your way out of it. Really? It's kind of like the war itself, huh? Well, tell me, how, how'd you do it? Well, I use my big jar of it's, it's a meth-enhanced electrolyte replacement system, and it keeps me up all day, because, yeah. see, over there, they, they, they own the day uh, and the night. It oh. really doesn't matter. Well, uh, so w- you you won something though besides the the tour to go back. Yeah, right? I get this case of Bud Light Lime. That's enough to get the general from Paris to Berlin in my new Hummer. The army gave you a Hummer. i just the down payment, but it's got robusted air conditioning and skin seats. Well, that's so cool. that's your job. It's not not a tough one. You're just driving the general. No, time, sir. Huh? Our orders are to clear, hold, and forget about it. Well, um, but what about winning the war? There's no winning, sir. It's uh, uh, just survival.
1: Well, PTSD, first-class Crystal McSamley, that's just what you've done on Afghan gladiator today. a so from me to you, good luck on your way back to Stan. Thanks, and By sir. the way, all those countries over there are called Stan something. Now what does that mean? Did they tell you what that means?
2: Yeah, sir, Stan is Muslim for pain. Afghani pain, is pain, Paki pain, Ziri pain. <laughs> well, no pain, no gain. Yeah, well, lots of one and uh, none of the other. But, it, but it's a good war, so uh-huh. I already signed up my unborn children to over there and forget what I'm going to go over and uh, clear and hold. Well, it sounds like you've got it all under control, uh, Stan. And, and, and
1: this is uh, David Osmond for Radio Free Oz here at the Bob Hope Studios in Burbank,
0: California. Benjamin Friedman is a research fellow in defense and homeland security at the Cato Institute. And Christopher Preble is director of foreign policy studies at Cato. Cato is a conservative think tank. And I don't agree with them on a lot of stuff, but I'm with these boys on this. They are also members of the Sustainable Defense Task Force, an ad hoc advisory panel created by representatives Barney Frank and Ron Paul. So you can see we're stretching across the aisle here. And here's why I'm so in agreement with them. Here's what they say, and this is out of politico. With the Senate close to voting on the Defense Authorization Bill, Congress is poised to pass the largest military budget since World War II, roughly 550 billion, excluding funds for the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. So I don't know, what does that make it? 800 billion? A trillion, who knows? Despite Obama's professed concern about huge budget deficits, the president has taken no meaningful steps to rein in military spending. Hawks and defense industry trade groups say this spending is essential to U.S. security, but much of Washington's military spending is geared toward defending others and toward the dubious proposition that global stability depends on U.S. military deployments. Right on. If our military had less to do, the Pentagon could spend less, at least 1.22 trillion less over the next 10 years, according to a recent Cato Institute report. Washington confuses what it wants from its military, global primacy or hegemony, with what it needs, safety. Policymakers exaggerate the capability of existing enemies and invent new ones by defining traditional foreign troubles, geopolitical competition among states and instability within them, for example, as major U.S. security threats. In nearly all cases, they are not. They are indeed not. Afghanistan is not threatening us. Geography, wealth, and nuclear weapons provide us with a degree of safety that our ancestors would envy. Sending large armies to occupy and try to manage the politics of hostile Muslim countries is not effective counterterrorism policy. In most cases, it is counterproductive. Inside the Beltway, these proposals may look radical, but what is really radical is the ambition that now justifies the size of the U.S. military, the idea that America should use its military to secure rich states in perpetuity, arrest disorder and several poor ones simultaneously, police the oceans, skies and space, and spend the better part of a trillion dollars a year to those ends. Right on! If Washington sheds its pretensions that America is the indispensable nation, guiding history and protecting all nations, even greater savings are possible. Like saving our future, like saving the lives of all the Americans that are going to go forth to do these unnecessary and, in many cases, impossible tasks. All of the money that could be used for building the infrastructure, making us a healthier and more productive and more capable nation, all of that is going down the military rat hole. No, I don't agree with Cato on a lot of their domestic takes. So what? Cato boys, you are right on. I'm 100% behind you. You rock. From the LA Times, nine Western service members died this week in a helicopter crash in southern Afghanistan, making this the deadliest year for NATO in the nine-year war. The nine-year occupation. ISAF officials said the crash took place in Zabul province, a Taliban stronghold. A provincial spokesman said the chopper went down in the Daichopan district. Combat deaths in June and July have spiked to the highest levels of the conflict. With Tuesday's crash, according to I. CACasualties.org, 529 members of the international force have been killed this year. The previous high was 2009, when 521 Western troops were killed, according to the website's tally. The South is the most active battlefront in the war, and it is the region where most American troops who arrived as part of the summer's surge have been deployed. About 100,000 Americans are in Afghanistan now. They make up two thirds of the Western force. The Western military said there were no reports of enemy fire in the area of the crash, which was the deadliest of the year. The incident was under investigation. Taliban fighters have been unable to shoot down Western helicopters in large numbers, but insurgent fire brought down a Canadian chopper last month in Kandahar province, injuring eight troops. Another helicopter was shot down in June in Helmand province, killing four Western troops. The summer saw a rash of helicopter crashes, mainly in the south. Another crash in Kandahar Province in June killed three Australian servicemen and a U.S. pilot. In this far-flung country with relatively few passable roads, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization's war effort relies heavily on helicopters. And I ask you, if we're in a country with few passable roads, what possible threat do they pose to us? Get on the road and ask yourself that question. Give me that guitar.
3: All right, everybody. It's a little song.
0: Thank you very much. A little song I learned upstream in prison one day. Everybody sing along now. Ready now? This land is made of mountains. This land is made of mountains. This land is made of mud. This land is made of mud. This land has lots of everything. This land has lots of everything. For me and Elmer Fudd. For me and Elmer Fudd. This land has lots of trousers. This land has lots of trousers. Lots of mousers and pussy cats to eat them when the sun goes. This came out of a uh, Maggie Haberman article uh, on New York. She does New York for Politico. Longtime Democratic incumbent Representative Nita Lowry's Republican challenger this fall, this must be in the New York area, is a Christian conservative author and activist whose writings have frowned on interracial marriage and movies like Save the Last Dance, touted the benefits of studies linking race to IQ, and said parents need to teach their kids appropriate ethnic boundaries for marriage and socializing. doing this article because this is just another one of these toxic fools that are running under the Republican banner. It's not just here and there. It's everywhere. Jim Russell, who's challenging Lowry in a repeat after trying to take her on in 2008, made the statements in an essay called The Western Contribution to World History, which was published in a 2001-2002 edition of the Occidental Quarterly, a far-right magazine that civil rights-focused Southern Poverty Law Center, dubbed a racist publication whose editors and advisory board members have constituted a who's who of the radical right, and its regular publication of extremist articles has made it a favorite among academic racists in America, and by the way, the Ku Klux Klan. In the essay, Russell also praised T.S. Eliot and psychology professor Kevin O'Donnell, who looked to limit the proliferation of Jews. McDonald, who served on the advisory board of the Occidental Quarterly, has been criticized as an anti-Semite who's pushed the theory that Jews are essentially practicing groupthink to outperform non-Jews. So that's how I got into Yale on a full scholarship. And some of my Gentile friends went to Ohio State because I groupthinked myself there. Ah, now I understand. Now I get the kernel of the conspiracy. He, this guy, McDonald, praises a book, Jean Raspail's. Camp of the Saints that the Southern Poverty Law Center has said is revered by American white supremacists. I'm going to quote from it. There is now afoot a conscious effort to de-Europeanize and re-Judaize Christianity through scriptural revision, internal treachery, and external pressure. Boy, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't heard about the
3: re-Judaizing
0: of Christianity. This is a whole new one on me. One possible strategy to counter these efforts is to encourage a re-Europeanization of Christianity into a European folk religion. Does this sound vaguely familiar? Such a strategy might be bolstered by the argument that Euro-Christians should only accept the folk-affirming form of Christianity accepted by our ancestors and not accept the specious bait-and-switch arguments of liberal Christians who try to indoctrinate us with universalist propaganda. I won't go into this stuff, right? I'm not going to get into this poisonous well. I just want you to know that this book is on the must-read list of a Republican who's running for the House of Representatives in New York City be aware Dave this is out of Politico and I know everybody knows about this but it just puts Christine O'Donnell and the Tea Party and the New American Fascism kind of in perspective I I was wondering what was the basis of her charisma and of course it's black magic oh really Delaware GOP Senate nominee Christine O'Donnell is making light of her claim that she dabbled in witchcraft in high school ah yes how many of you didn't hang out with questionable folks in high school? O'Donnell asked at a Republican picnic in Delaware Sunday. Dis- uh, questionable folks. I mean, I-, I-, I hung out with people like Harvey P. who did a lot of questioning, but they weren't necessarily questionable. Let me go on. There's been no witchcraft since. If there was, Carl Rove would be a supporter now. Whatever she means by that, I don't know. She has a way with, uh, with phrases. <laughs> In an old video clip from Bill May- Bill Myers, um, Politically Incorrect, O'Donnell says, I dabbled into witchcraft. I never joined a coven. Well, she actually has, in the sense the Tea Party is one huge coven, doesn't even know it, because it's one of many things they don't know. I hung around people who are de- doing these things. I'm not making this stuff up. I know what they told me they do, O'Donnell said. One of my first dates with a witch was on a satanic altar, and I didn't know it. I mean, there's a little blood there and stuff like that, she recalled. We went to a movie, and then we had a little midnight picnic on a satanic altar. Now, now Dave, (laughs) you'd think... All right, all right. You'd think now, okay, that that would do it for her with her Christian support. Oh, I would think that would uh, be the end of her career, yes sir. I mean, most most far-right Christians will, will will accuse liberals of like, you know, if you had the chance, you date a witch on a satanic altar or something like that. Well,
1: you'd have a picnic on a satanic altar. altar. You got so so immoral.
0: Well, yeah, you're you're such a such a spawn of Satan. So here she is dating Satan's spawn, right? Uh, in high school and they're all giving her a pass, you know. Like, well, you know, that was high school. Uh, you know, all of us hung around with a lot of goths back then and I never really got laid on on an altar, but uh, if I had had, the back seat of my car was pretty filthy, so I don't know. Chicken blood there, though it gets all over my clothes. We don't know if it was chicken blood, we haven't asked her, but you know, this is the level to which we have brought American politics. We meaning the stupid, ignorant, not asking not caring American public. In general, because I remind you, not only is the Tea Party bringing fascism to America through dupes and Satanists, <laughs> you know, uh, hair-dude Satanists, but we're running an incredibly unnecessary, expensive, w- deadly occupation abroad, and nobody, including the Democrats, is saying a thing about not
1: it. Not a thing. Hey, uh, isn't it true that Bill Maher had her on
0: uh, 22 times. Four, 22 Two times. times. Yeah, he was hard up Ooh, for, for has, people that
1: made fools of themselves. She got an archive. Oh, oh.
0: Oh, yes. And he says he's going to throw a body out every week until she fesses up. But then again, you wonder, what, what does it say about a show that had her on 22 times? Mm. Little hard up for controversy. Short on kooks. A strain of a virus that causes colds may also contribute to obesity in children, a new study says. The latest research shows that obese children and teens who have had adenovirus 36 are more likely to be obese than kids who haven't been infected. This adds to other evidence in humans and animals of a possible link between virus and obesity. Researchers at the University of California, San Diego, studied 124 children ages 8 to 18. About half were obese. The scientists determined which kids had been infected based upon the presence of antibodies for the virus. They found that 15 of the 19 children who had been infected were obese. And obese children who have had the virus weighed about 35 pounds more than obese children without the virus. Richard Atkinson, a professor of pathology at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, who was not involved in the study, says the virus contributes to obesity by getting into fat cells and increasing the amount of fat in those cells and making new fat cells. But even if you had the virus, if you follow a good diet and exercise program, you don't have to become obese, he says very all well and good and it's 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 good to know that people know that there are other causes for this incredible call it pandemic of obesity amongst children in America amongst Americans in general Americans are grossly overweight i guess except for the few who actually work the farms in the morning and you can have a farmer's breakfast of 18 eggs and three three slathers of bacon and still burn it all off you know out there in the fields People are obese, and kids particularly, they're being fed junk foods in the schools. Some action's being taken on that. They live in the, uh, under the poverty line, 20% of them, and eat bad food. The cheapest food is the worst food and has the most dead calories. You know, if we don't look at ourselves as, as, a, as a commonwealth, As a nation of people with needs, if we say, well, if you're obese, it's your own fault. Calvinism reigns, man. If you're poor, God's uh, like, uh, he's turned his uh, face from you. You know, maybe you're of the devil. Uh, All of that separation is, uh, is balkanizing us, fractionizing us when we need to come together. We do need to be able to think locally, but we have to also think nationally. We have to think as a nation of brothers and sisters. If you want to stay on top of what's happening with Radio Free Oz or even want to contribute to the show, we have a brand new way for you to do that. Just go to www.twitter.com slash oznetwork and click on the follow button. Then stand by for further instructions. Kind of sounds like Jack Armstrong. Stand by for further instructions. From the Gray Lady, She's Still Alive. President Obama's political advisors looking for ways to help Democrats uh, alter the course of the midterm elections in these final weeks are considering a range of ideas, including national advertisements to cast the Republican Party as all but taken over by the Tea Party extremists. And you know, that's closer to the truth than, I, than I'd want to believe, but I have to because the Tea Party people are everywhere. We need to get out the message that it's now really dangerous to re-empower the Republican Party, said one Democratic strategist who has spoken with White House advisers, but requested anonymity to discuss private strategy talks. Proponents say a national ad campaign, most likely on cable television, would complement those individual campaigns and give Democrats a chance to redefine the stakes. The Democratic strategist said voters did not see much threat to them from a Republican takeover of Congress even though some Tea Party-backed candidates and other Republicans have taken positions that many voters consider extreme. Like shutting down the government to get their way, privatizing Social Security and Medicare, and ending unemployment insurance. Yeah, I'd call that pretty extreme and basically pretty unpopular. Of course, the guy Miller, who's a Tea Partyist running in Alaska, says that unemployment insurance is unconstitutional. Why? Because James Madison and George Washington and Alexander Hamilton were never on unemployment insurance? Are you sure, Mr. Miller? Are you such a scholar of the revolution that you know? Go back and check it out. While we may have a handful of nominees out of the mainstream, the American people have come to the conclusion this administration and this Congress are out of the mainstream, said John Weaver, a Republican consultant. Really? Out of the mainstream? The Obama administration? The great middle? I don't get it. At the Democratic National Committee, aides already have started work on a database to link the most controversial statements of the Tea Party-backed candidates to possible Republican presidential candidates. The database will point out, for example, that Sarah Palin and Mitt Romney are supporting the Republican candidate for Senate in Nevada, Sharon Angle, who once said the victims of rape should make what was really a lemon situation into lemonade. And Ms. O'Donnell, who has said that having women in the service academies cripples the readiness of our defense. I didn't know that Sharon Angle said take the lemon of rape and turn it into the lemonade of what? What, you take the residue of your, of your rape and, and use it for the lemonade at your stand at the corner? This woman is a total wingnut. The tactic of linking potential Republican rivals to such statements was already in evidence last week. After Miss O'Donnell's victory, a party spokesman told reporters the fact that Mitt Romney and Sarah Palin would put their name behind a candidate that believes women who serve our country cripple the readiness of our defense makes them unfit to be commander-in-chief. Man, that's just one of a zillion reasons why Sarah Palin is unfit to be commander-in-chief. She's unfit to be a crossing guard at Lomond Elementary School, where I graduated. Hey, well, how about that, Sarah, baby? I'm back verbally dining with uh, Chef Jess, who runs the Kabuna Cafe at Muckle Teal Coffee here on beautiful Whidbey Island, where I have eaten and supped and and done up many and ginned up many um, radio friage shows. As you (laughs) know, I'm often the first one there in the morning uh, setting up my my little table of electronic gear. Last time we talked about the fact that you work almost exclusively when you can and when it's available (laughs) with local produce from the island, mm-hmm. okay? How does this affect the kind of menus you offer? What sort of, yeah, what sort of effect does this have on on running the business that you run?
4: Um, it affects it daily, actually, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a lot of work. A lot of um, restaurants aren't really set up to work day to day with what's coming through the door from local farmers. Oh. They're set up with just, here's my menu, and we're just going to go with that. And I'm going to order uh, my produce off of a spreadsheet, and I'm going to look for the cheapest tomatoes I can possibly find to put on that. Oh. Um, even if they're saying, oh, we're an organic restaurant, maybe they're like, okay, well, let's look for the cheapest organic tomatoes Um we at Kabuni try to only get our produce from the island. Um, obviously, we don't grow everything here, so um, in the off seasons, we're looking for that concentric circle out away from the island,
0: as close to the island as exactly. possible. Exactly. But what this—I see what you're saying because your your menu will be affected and instructed by what's available exactly. locally because of your commitment.
4: Exactly. We have a burger on our menu. We call it the Muckle Burger. We use Three Sisters um, Cattle Company beef. I'm very particular to their beef they're all pasture raised grass fed they also grow their own grass to feed the cows in the winter time when grass isn't growing so they know what's
0: coming in exactly
4: Um, and they were out of beef for three weeks and people really like our burgers. so that was kind of a hard one people were like Um, Are you going to get different meat? You know, my staff was like, what are we going to do? We can't be out of the burger. And we were. We just took it off the menu for three weeks. I couldn't find something that was, in my opinion, as good, sustainably grown from the island that I could put on the menu that would keep the cost still down. Well,
0: that's that's amazing because, you know, to take a popular... Item off yeah. a menu is, is a sacrifice. <laughs> it but hard. you know, it, it would be interesting if, if people knew and maybe some of them knew just by the nerd of mouth in the cafe right. that it's off the menu because the, the three sisters well, have no pasture meat for us or What whatever. was
4: great about that is the educational component to the consumer. Like telling them, no, we don't have beef right now and we're not willing to find something else to replace it. You're just going to have to find something else on this great menu yeah. to, to ease your appetite for now. You know, And they really got adventurous in their eating and realized that, oh, I don't have to necessarily have that one particular product that I really, really wanted. Well,
0: they may say that, but the minute it came back, bam, they were on the burger. Oh, yeah.
4: We sold like 20 burgers in one day. It was hilarious. I loved it. But it was great to see people wait. Um, I think that in this country, we're so inclined to just have whatever we want. We want our corn in the middle of the winter. We want peaches in January. We don't think about, well, these aren't in season. Where are these coming from? How far did they travel and how are they grown? It's not just like, well, I want to serve the absolute best product.
0: So that means I I ain't going to get no peach cobbler in February.
4: You will because we spend a lot of time. Putting food away for the winter.
0: You put food away, i.e., you can the peaches. We'll
4: can the peaches or we'll freeze them. Right. Yeah, we put food up for the winter. We try really hard to do that. So the summer, I hire a lot of extra staff members, and they're just processing food for us.
0: Wow. So, well, that is that is an entire, well, that is very encouraging. <laughs> I work also with a lady named Jenny Pell, who is in, in, in Seattle, and she's teaching sustainable urban agriculture. Oh, there you go. So the, a time may come when you have to reach out only a ferry ride away to get exactly. some of your stuff because it's growing up a chimney somewhere right. in Ballard or something. That would be awesome. No, and it, it is happening. So, uh, well.
4: It, it has to happen.
0: Yes, it has to happen. The this is something
4: that we right now think that we have the luxury of making these choices, and we don't. We really need to start changing the way we eat and the way we actually produce food in this country. Yeah,
0: and it's, and in it, the world, and we're going to have to make more from less, yep. make it better, and you know, uh, it maybe it'll bring it'll help bring down this maybe this huge obesity problem that we have referred to yeah. before too yeah. i'm not going to get obese going to the community cafe unless i just eat too <laughs> eat, much eat, eat. Yeah. Eat, 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 which is of course an option there and the coffee's <laughs> fabulous well thank, thank you, you. Sh- chef jess uh yeah. give, give my best to all the staff i and will we'll have you back soon okay
4: thank you okay Let it flow. i want the balance to come to me
3: I'll play it back to you, and we'll have a rhythm, and it'll dance and flow. And you can be smoother than that, but don't take it don't don't take it too literal. You can take it ethereal, but but you know it's it's in the morning. Whoa, so you hop- whoa,
2: whoa, 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 yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Yo, this is where I go to school kind of crazy ain't it the first time I saw the studio I almost fainted I couldn't contemplate how I had even made it from my late registration now I'm facing graduation and I ain't stressing this recession if it leads to a depression it won't be in my mind I'll be fine as long as I'm surviving off the of beats and rhyming then I don't mind surviving off the of eating no rhyming cause where I'm standing right now this is to be grinding cause ain't nobody signing so ain't nobody shining no more dreams are going dominant spitting that fly talk. dudes acting like they street when they barely sidewalk my best friend said that music comes from someone in transition so I'm sifting through pessimism and something uplifting so if you love something that is on to rhyme with the skill then you gon' recognize when you see this really well see my people's always mention that the industry is missing something I for someone coming with permission not to mention an inch of scale and if that's how you feel my name is now this is how you let the beat build uh, that's how you let the beat build that's how you let the beat build right ladies that's how you let the beat build uh oh, yeah uh yo let the beat build from the cornerstone, the cornerstone. When I'm off the dome, I get screwed like a wall When you nail these clothes, you on top, but you never flow On top like a sepo take them out like a repo We know fly like an ego from here to ego You know but it ain't no equal when it comes to my ego I want a piece of the pie, but there's a whole lot ahead of me People so hungry, fries eating their integrity, And their in business twisted up in their creative vision And no way, crazy, listen, I ain't starved for attention. Ain't no honorable mentions making winning look easy With these locks, I'm looking like the likes. Call me Anagi Wild out like Amy Winehouse and paparazzi no, like no, Blow like cocaine Blow like propane Once I got the whole game Y'all all know my name Wait, hold up I roll with things that put hair on your chest Like body wash, roll game. And I don't need no sample Got a girl with a banjo From the first bar you can see that I'm a star I make y'all wish hard like Return of Ja'Var And show y'all all what it feels like to be in awe That's how we let the beat feel. That's how you let the beat feel. That's how you let the beat feel. How you let beat bill
0: this from talking points memo with all the wrangling over the Bush-era tax cuts among House Democrats, who would have thought it would actually be easier for Senate Democrats to push through a critical election year vote on extending the cuts for the middle class? It is, after all, the Senate, so this could, of course, at all fall apart at any moment. But a top Democratic aide said the Senate Democrats have have a detailed plan for getting the vote through to win the political battle. And this is a big deal because it is a signal to the American people, if they're still listening, if they're not fast asleep from bad drugs and bad Fox, that the Democrats truly do stand with the middle class and are going to take these unnecessary and unsustainable tax benefits away from the Plutos. We're having this fight before November, the aide told uh, Talking Points Memo, speaking on a condition of anonymity to be able to lay out the political agenda. The caucus is in agreement that this fight is a fight worth taking before the election. You may not win, but you put yourself in the camp of fighting with the middle class. The idea is to vote on the middle class cuts, then box Republicans into calling for cuts for the rich. Those Republicans will have to stand up and say, Don't forget the high earners! They all have to call for an amendment. Here's where it gets a little procedural. If uh, Majority Leader Harry Reid does it right, and Harry Reid has a reputation for doing it right, the aide argued, here's how the process would break down, just in time for the midterms. According to the aide, as early as next Monday, being September 27th, the Democrats would start the debate. The aide's hypothetical... Um, uh, agenda looks like this. September 27th or 28th, Reid brings up the bill to extend middle class tax cuts. If Republicans object, they look like they're obstructing tax breaks for every American. If Republicans allow it to go forward, there can be a vote. If they insist on their plan to freeze tax rates at their current uh, level, keeping the tax cuts for the rich, they would be allowed to do so in the form of an amendment to the middle-class bill. But to pass that amendment, 19 Democrats would need to jump on board as well, taking a vote that effectively gives rich people a larger tax cut. The aide thinks that won't be happening. This is why Minority Leader John Boehmer's big reveal, and subsequent walkback, that he'd be willing to support a middle-class-only plan if that were his only option with such a critical development. If they are forced into a "Will you vote for the middle class tax cuts?" they have a decision to make and a debate to have. If they don't support us, they look isolated. Champions of the richest of the rich, the Senate aide said. We win with either option. Well, good luck, Harry Reid. Recently, I was uh, I was watching some television. Uh, oh well, uh, that was your mistake, right there, Pete. Late at night. Well, I was hanging out with my girlfriend. We're watching old television, and on comes this show called The Gates. Right. And it's about vampires, no surprise. Everything on television now is about vampires, and there's a good reason. First of all, uh, most of the Republicans turn out to be vampires, so there's a built-in audience. Yeah, right? yeah. They live off other people's blood, and the fact that they're going to nibble away at a health care bill to keep everybody sick sounds like vampires mm-hmm. to me. But here's the good news about va- All you have to do is say somebody's a vampire, and that explains their bad overacting. Because that's that's how you play vampires, you overact, right? Which means cheap actors and actresses, these people are not, And this is an ABC show, and you suddenly realize that the market is shrinking so for the networks. And we kept hearing about it, but it's really true. They no longer dominate the way they used to, so the money isn't there for these hour shows. This The million, the two million, the ten million, or the twenty, it's cheap. So all that happens in this show is people look darkly at each other, Right, because they're vampires. There's one special effect. This girl in a a sundress is, is, is seducing this guy, thinking she's not a vampire, so it won't be a problem. She's been cured right? Like being cured of homosexuality because it's just a, uh, an identity disorder. And all of a sudden, this special effect appears on her back, these kind of like veins. She sucks all the energy out of them. So somebody else has to come in. The music has to start again. And she saves the boy by killing him and bringing him back as a vampire. And I thought, this is the cheapest show I have ever seen. And if they weren't vampires, if they turned out to be just like n- nasty people, wouldn't work couldn't pull it off
1: no no but this is just one example i mean did you did you channel surf did you look around this is this last week or this week is the opening of the television season yes every day the new york times has another three or four thrilling reviews of programs about fat people fat people new program about fat people yeah uh uh you have to go if you really want to spend that 10 billion dollars you got to go to home box office and
0: you know, and so. see Steve Buscemi trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to lead the mob or whatever he's doing. Yeah,
1: well, it, it's, it's Jersey Shore a uh, hundred years ago, you know, whatever. Yep. Uh, no, it's uh, that's where the money's going. Is money is not going into these uh, shows? They're getting, they are, they're getting cheaper and cheaper. But you know, the one thing that you got to remember about uh, television sitcoms is that they were classically overlit. Yes, uh, overacted because right. everything had to be really very clear to people,
0: and often overwritten, underwritten, and overwritten uh, under, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Lots of writing, not much comedy, lots of canned laughter. And the canned laughter is back. It is back. Yes. It is back.
1: It's back with the fat people. It's not back with the guy that's who's hung that because he's on uh, you know he's on that other channel. It's not back with the guy. How about the one where this guy's a serial killer and a policeman? This is like the fifth season. He's killing people's bodies. I mean, Do you
0: mean well, Dexter? I, need I Dexter, when, I, when they on. When they first announced Dexter, I know I'm going to sound like a curmudgeon. I'm going to take the curmudgeon out, which is, I said, I am not watching a show about a serial killer. You know, and he's a really good actor, too, that guy who stars as Dexter. Well, that's not my problem, because I, do, I have never watched it. But I said, a serial killer who has redeeming aspects. No, I'm sorry. that I won't go that far. Oh, one other thing about the, the vampire thing, which is really interesting, is that I closed my eyes. I had to. Who could watch it? <laughs> and I noticed that each scene, halfway through, the music, the dark music would begin. Every scene started dry. And then about halfway through, the dark music began. So I thought, ah, oh, I got it, I got it. The canned music, the, the non acting, da 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 we know Welcome what's to happening. the gates of new television. And, well, I fell asleep. You know, it's cheaper than a pill. Stuff from the Huff, it's official. The longest recession the country has endured since World War II ended in June 2009, according to a group that dates the beginning and ends of recessions. What a nice group to be in. Probably a bunch of real high livers. Lots of sense of humor. Lots of fart bags under the chairs. Oh, I tell you, party on with those guys. So the recession is over. It ended in June 2009. How come none of us really noticed? The National Bureau of Economic Research, those are the boys we're talking about, a panel of academic economists based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, said the recession lasted 18 months. It started in December 2007 and ended in June 2009. That was the longest of any recession since World War II. Previously, the longest post-war downturns were those 73 through 75 and 81 through 82. Both of them lasted 16 months. So like America. Get better, longer. Make that recession just last a couple months longer and make the books. We're going to do the same with this double dipper we're in. The decision makes official what many economists have believed for some time, that the recession ended in the summer of 2009. The economy started growing again in the July to September quarter of 09 after a record four straight quarters of declines. Thus, the April to June quarter of 2009 marked the last quarter when the economy was shrinking. It contracted 0.7%. Well, any future downturn in the economy would now mark the start of a new recession, not the continuation of the December 2007 recession. NBER said, well, that's good news. I know we all feel a lot better about that. That's important because if the economy starts shrinking again, it could mark the onset of a double dip recession. For many economists, the last time that happened was in 1981 to 1982. The big double dip, right, with chocolate little sprinkles on the top. It's the ice cream Cone. Everybody wants to melt. NBER's decision means little to ordinary Americans now muddling through a sluggish economic recovery and a weak jobs market. A weak jobs market, they say, in order for uh, us to return to full employment pre-recession at the rate that we're adding and losing jobs would take 30 years minimum. I love this. The recession is over. Okay. Unemployment is 9.6% and has been stuck at high levels since the recession ended. Oh, really? I thought the economy's picking up. Yeah, I'll tell you what. A few fat cats are picking up this and that, including my future. One, two, three. This one out of McNewspaper. Ella Shank recalls saying a little prayer on election day before casting a Republican primary vote in Delaware. And you know for who. I believe that God is waking America up, said Shank, who attends a Mennonite church. She was among those who helped Christine O'Donnell upset longtime Representative Mike Castle in the Republican primary for the U.S. Senate. If people don't start voting for what's right, God will punish us, she said. Oh, I your fault. How are you going to deal with people like that? Really? God is watching you and he knows which is the right way to vote? Well, if God knows how to vote right, why doesn't he just make it happen, baby? Oh, I forgot. Free will. Free will to vote for a woman who dabbled in witchcraft, thinks Condoms don't work, etc. and etc. Yeah, well, take away Miss Schrank's free will for just a while. Greenwood, Delaware, Shrank's district is the epicenter of O'Donnell's upset win. A large and mostly rural majority Republican election district that, along with nearby Bridgeville, delivered more votes to O'Donnell than any other in Delaware. They should cordon the place off. It was a district that by most accounts saw a surge in political activism on social issues among evangelicals surprising many party regulars and was a factor in derailing Castle's political career. Though no one explains the change in Delaware's voting patterns entirely in terms of activist voting by conservative Christians, many say it's a significant factor. I wouldn't call it the Christian coalition, but there was definitely a faith basis to a lot of this, said Jay Everett Moore, an attorney and former Sussex County Republican committee chairman. The faith community tends to get involved periodically. It's obviously much stronger here in Sussex County. See, the reason they don't burn witches there now is that you see Christine O'Donnell was a witch and that would not be in their best interest because God would be unhappy. They wouldn't have the right person to vote for. Many with long histories of watching Delaware elections say the evangelical Christian voting bloc has grown in strength, especially in southern Newcastle County, where suburban Catholic congregations and new evangelical churches are growing. The Delaware primary is an example of the kind of grassroots revolts we're seeing across the country, and it's entirely possible that social conservatives, as the Christian conservatives are sometimes called, were an important part in what happened, said John Green, a University of Akron political science professor. Yes, I think you're right there, Johnny. One theory is that O'Donnell's public religious devotion helped her to pull more religious and social conservatives alongside Tea Party supporters, who usually focus more heavily on economic and political conservatism. Christine O'Donnell did create a bit of a buzz in the conservative Christian community because of her stance on marriage and sexuality, which is closer to their own, said Green. At a candidate forum in Newark in August, O'Donnell campaign volunteer coordinator Christina Hamilton knelt beside the candidate, placed her hands on O'Donnell's shoulders, and prayed as the Republicans sat in a corner reviewing notes before taking the stage. Oh, no, 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 no. It reminds me of that weirdo wingnut pastor putting his hands on Sarah Palin and telling her she's going to be president or exercising demons or I don't know what it did, but it's that same awful conflation of stupid religion and bad politics. Gary Hines, former chairman of the state Democratic Party, called the surge in social conservative influence troubling. Yeah, you think so? It's scary to see a legitimate political party run by people I respect but have profound differences with taken hostage by basically extremists. It's not good for America. It's not good for Delaware. Yeah, it ain't good for anybody, anywhere, at any time. Well, 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 here we are again, Dave, at the end of another show, which means you know, it's fall, darkening of the light, but the light will return tomorrow as we do more Oz here on RadioFreeOz.com. Don't forget, we're putting up that Oz and Ears page soon so you can learn about becoming a subscribing member to Radio Free Oz and help us get through these darkening times. <laughs> well, things were dark back in the Tang period too, right?
1: They were back in the 8th century. Yeah. Uh, um, I picked up another, uh, another volume. This is from one called Sunflower Splendor. Oh, uh, Three, more. 3,000 years of Chinese poetry. Do you
0: think do you think we can get through it all? 3,000 years later, man. I don't know about ours. It's A little, Maybe a little radical for me, but I sure know a lot about Chinese poetry.
1: <laughs> well, we're not going to run out of Han Yu for another week. Uh, this is the fourth in uh, 11 poems called Sentiments, at autumn. Go for it. All right. Every day now, autumn air more troubling sad. Autumn skies more trembling cold. Above, no cicadas on the branches. Below, no flies in the bowls. Who's not stirred by the season's change that rids the senses of these small pains? In dawn's light, I close my books and sit watching the high ridges of the southern mountains, below which the clear pool's water, where dragons, chilled cold, can be caught. Oh, but I cannot go there.
0: Yet, who would say I lack the skill? Certainly not me, Mr. Osmond. Yeah, that's David Osmond. (laughs) The the Tang Man is back. (laughs) co-speaker here on Radio Free Oz. It's a pleasure always to be with you. There's there's our bed. Ah, that cool Japanese disco that keeps us going, that keeps the the blood flowing. Uh, Stay with us. Come on up to the site, RadioFreeOz.com. Lots up there, blogs and cartoons and news and archives. chance for you to comment on what's going on and on and on.